Oh, we worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's lift our hands to the Lord right now one more time. Hallelujah, Lord. We're receptive to what you're going to do in this house. We're ready to hear your word, Lord, and we're asking that you speak to us right now through your servant, through the man of God. Lord, when Brother Wright comes to this pulpit, Lord, we know we're hearing from you. So we ask that you would speak to our hearts, anoint our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive and to obey your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Brother Wright, I was going to introduce you, but I feel like you just need to get up here and just go ahead and just preach. We know who you are. Appreciate you, brother. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's try that again as they adjust these mics a little bit. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It is so good to be here this morning. How many of you like church? How many of you love church? Amen. I sure love church. I look at it like this, that the Sundays are the Super Bowl of the week. Come on, Sundays are the Super Bowl, can you hear me now, of the week. All right, praise the Lord. I just switched mics on you, Soundman. I went back to the one Brother Lewis was using so I could hear myself here. Second Samuel chapter 9, I'll begin with verse 1, and we'll read through verse 7. Amen, and I'm so glad you're here. Turn to somebody as you're finding your scripture. Give them a high five. Smile really big at them. Amen. Big high five, I said, amen, and smile really, really big. Amen. I give honor to your bishop, to his wife, brother and sister, Tryon. I sure love these folks. Amen. How many love your bishop? Amen. And for everything that they have stood for and everything that they have done, amen, for this church here in New Britain, Connecticut, it has been 15 years since my family and I have been able to come here, and over the 15 years, Amen. We sure have grown close to your bishop and his wife. I sure love to fish with them. They're, they're my favorite fishing partners. Amen. Besides my daughter, whenever I get to take Madison out. But uh, we just have a lot of fun. We tell a lot of stories and a lot of lies. And at the end of the day, amen, we know that we're on each other's side. And so I, uh, I just have so much fun in that kind of atmosphere where you can just joke around. And, and we're sitting here ripping on each other. And we're, we're you know, uh, just picking on each other and all of a sudden Bishop launches or sets his hook in old Nessie. I call it Nessie, a monster bass. And I dropped my pole, ran to get the net and all that stuff. And, you know, it's fun to be able to just joke, have fun, but yet have each other's back. Whenever he lost that fish, which he loses a lot of fish, but when he lost that fish, man, my heart broke for him. And, uh, you know, just for a little bit it broke for him. But, I mean, that's how it goes. So I give them honor to your pastor, brother and sister Brown. We sure love them and appreciate them as well. Amen. Second, Sap, or Second Samuel, excuse me, chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Is everybody there? If you are, say amen. Second Samuel 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was, a, there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba, and when they had called him unto David the king, they said unto him, Art thou Ziba or Ziba? I have no idea if it's a long eye or a short eye. We'll say Ziba, and the next time I say it, I might say Ziba. I don't know. Either way, they said this to you. They called him unto David and said, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there, there not yet any of the house of Saul that he may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan has yet a son which is lame on his feet. Verse 6, it reads like this. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and he did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered and said, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Watch this, fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will restore. Somebody say, will restore. Amen. Let's say that together again. We'll restore. Amen. How many of you know that God is in the restoration business? Come on. How, do you, how many know that God can take a mess of a life, amen, and bring restoration into that life? Amen. How many know? How many has been a beneficiary of a God that is able to bring restoration in your life? Amen. And David said, I will restore 
the all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Amen. And with the help of God this morning, I feel compelled to preach this. Finishing strong. Finishing strong. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time that we finish strong. Amen. Turn to somebody else and with a little preach on your voice, say, hey, it's time to finish strong. Amen. Let's set our Bibles down and lift our hands one more time and ask for the anointing of the Lord to touch the Word of God. Jesus, I ask for your anointing, God, to reach down and to touch my mind, Lord. I pray that you let my mind be alert, that you would help me to preach with clarity. God, bring things to my mind today that would benefit the body of Christ and that would help your people today. And I pray, God, that as I preach, your spirit would fall in this place and draw us closer to you. That, God, as I preach, you will convict our hearts, Lord, and you will smile down upon us and you will strengthen our walks with you. And everybody say in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. There's a saying that I believe that we have all heard at one point in time or another. And if you know the rest of the saying, I just want you to shout it out at the time that it is appropriate. But the saying goes something like this, amen. It goes like this. It matters not How you start the race, but what truly matters is that you... One more time, it matters not how you start the race, but what truly matters is that you finish the race. A man standing head and shoulders above his peers and being, as the Bible says in 1 Samuel 9, 2, a choice man... And a goodly man, there was not among the children of Israel a more goodlier person than Saul was. If you were here tonight and you were looking for a captain of the football team and Saul was there, you would have picked Saul. As the word goodlier indicates, in every way Saul stood out from among his peers. In every way, this man Saul excelled in the physical. And because of his spirit of humility, as indicated in 1 Samuel 15 verse 17, Saul was the go-to guy. Now in the scripture, Samuel, the great man of God, the prophet of God, is seen taking his elderly hands and he breaks open the vial of anointing oil, pouring it over the head of Saul. And at that moment in time, Saul's legacy of Israel's first anointed king started. The race or the journey, if you would, of Saul's kingship had begun at that very moment. Saul would go down in history as Israel's first anointed king. His legacy literally had the ability to be remembered in a positive manner forever and ever. For 40 years, the Bible said Saul ran the race. For 40 years, Saul went after the prize. And yet this morning, as we conclude reading and learning about this man, Saul, we see this, that after 40 years of reigning as king, Saul is seen in the scripture as now taking his sword and falling upon his own sword committing suicide as both he and his son are slain in the battle and so this morning I will say it again that when considering the life of Saul it does not matter how you start the race but what truly matters is that you finish the race When considering the scriptures that speak of Saul's life, we can literally see the moment, Pastor, where Saul made the moment of turning, where Saul began to make the wrong choices. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 17, the Bible says, And Samuel said, the prophet speaking to Saul, and he says this, When thou wast little in your own sight, Was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? In other words, when you were little in your own sight, when you walked with a spirit of humility before God, hello somebody, uh, when you walked humble in his presence, uh, when you walked around as a man uh, that valued the commandments of God, uh, when it mattered to you what God thought of you uh, more than what you thought of yourself, uh, when you were little 
in your own eyes. Wasn't that the time or the point uh, that God anointed you to be the king over Israel? And now Samuel goes on to utter those famous words. Uh, he says this in 1 Samuel 15, 23. Uh, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And watch this. Uh, stubbornness is as iniquity and uh, idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. Uh, he has also rejected you from being uh, the king of Israel. Rebellion and stubbornness. Listen to me somebody this morning. Uh, something happened in Saul's life uh, where his values began to change uh, in the things of the kingdom of God. Uh, when he started the race it mattered what God thought of him. Uh, when he started the race he cared about how he pleased God. Uh, only years down the road now uh, he's finding himself being rejected by God. Stubbornness. It was the same spirit that Cain had. Where Cain wanted a relationship with God, but Cain wanted it his way. Cain wanted it in his box and on his terms. Cain wanted to force God into his mold rather than letting God force Cain into God's mold. And it was God that said, Cain, if you do well, then I will accept your offering. But if not, sin lies at your door. Listen to me, I don't care how stubborn you are and how rebellious to God you might be. Uh, you will never get the God Almighty, amen, to conform uh, to your idea of who you think God should be. Come on, God doesn't bend to anybody. He doesn't bow to ever anybody, amen. Uh, it's His way. He is God supreme. He is God sovereign. I'm not the oldest in here by no means, and I'm not the youngest anymore, but I have seen this more times uh, than I would like to admit, and I would say it like this, my friends, uh, it scares me. It scares me when I see people's values uh, begin to change. It scares me when I see, amen, fresh altars that used to be built every Sunday no longer being built. It scares me when I can observe people, amen, that used to be on fire worshiping God. They used to be active in church. They used to lift their hands in the presence of God. And now they sit on worship and they cannot lift their hands in praise. That scares me when values begin to change. John said to the church of Ephesus, Revelation 2.1, and the, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, I know thy labor, thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which are, say they're apostles, and they're not, and you have found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake have labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, here he goes, he says, I have somewhat uh, against you and uh, all the good that you're doing I still have a bone to pick with you uh, and that bone is this uh, you have left uh, your first love amen uh, you have walked away from being in love with me uh, amen something has changed in your value system uh, where I am no longer the focal point in your life now in verse 27 of Samuel, after Samuel reiterates these words to, to Saul, the Bible says Samuel goes uh, and he turns his way uh, and he begins to walk away from Saul. And at that point in time, Saul reaches out, uh, lays hold on Samuel's mantle and he pulls back to get this man's attention. Uh, and Samuel's mantle rips uh, and he spins on a dime and he looks at Saul and he says, this day uh, the Lord has rent the kingdom uh, of Israel from you. And this is what he says and has given it to your neighbor who is better than thou art and I don't know about you this morning but it would be a tragedy it would be a tragedy to go from being anointed by God to now rejected by God hello it would be a tragedy, amen, to go from being, uh, literally having the legacy of being God's first anointed king uh, to now you have the legacy of also being God's first rejected king it's an interesting topic or note to at least make that the neighbor that God gave Saul's throne to was a man that ended up committing cold-blooded murder. 
he, he was a man that would end up letting lust drive him, committing adultery. He was a man that would react and respond to a moment where pride entered into his heart and he would number the people of Israel causing death and destruction. And yet it was also David, a man that the book of Psalms says he was a man that was after God's own heart. I've tried to reconcile the sins of Saul and the sins of David. And where it seems that Saul barely got away with anything, it seems like David got away with everything. How many of you have ever tried to reconcile the sins of Saul and the sins of David? And in my efforts to try to reconcile both of these men's sins and both of their failures, I have come to this conclusion that essentially when Saul said that he was sorry, it came from a spirit and an attitude. I'm sorry I got caught rather than I'm sorry I've disobeyed God's word. And yet when David would find himself in sin uh, and God turned his face from King David, uh, we would watch as something would come over David, uh, amen, and he would get to a place of remorse and sorrow, uh, amen. He would grab a quill and dip it into some ink and then uh, he would begin to write Psalms uh, four, or 51 verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, uh, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, uh, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities uh, and cleanse me from my sin. Uh, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me uh, and with tears staining the parchments. Uh, he would go on the right in verse 10. Uh, Create in me, O oh God, a clean heart uh, and renew within me a right spirit. Uh, don't cast me from your presence and do not take your spirit from me. When David found himself trending in a direction leading him away from God, Something would happen to this man David where he would fall on his face and he would say, I don't want to be that man. I don't want to go down that path. I don't want to walk that road that leads me away from God. Come on, I don't want to be a man where God has turned his face from me, but I've got to be pleasing to God. Hear me this morning in efforts not to be long-winded. I am compiling 40 years of Saul's reign and 40 years of David's reign as king. And after 80 years of kingship, Bishop, I am concluding this, that it does not matter how you start the race, but what truly matters is that you finish the race. After 80 years of history, hear me this morning, somebody, I am coming to this conclusion that you can start the race off with everything and and if you're not careful, you can wind up losing everything. You can start the race off on the right foot. And if you're not careful in your walk with God, you can wind up losing everything that you have. And I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how well you can play the drums or the piano. I don't care how big your bank account is, how many houses you have, cars you have, four-wheelers you have. Hear me, you can have it all. And if you're not careful, you can wind up losing it all. Why? Because it matters how you finish the race. I've heard many explanations of what it means to be a man after God's own heart, and all of them are great because I feel like when you study the life of David, there are a lot of things that David did that we can look at. But I have also come to this conclusion or this belief system that if you're going to be a person who is after God's own heart, that it means this, that when you find yourself living in a trajectory that leads you away from God, when you find yourself slipping away in your walk with God, when you find your passion and your fire and your zeal for the spiritual things uh, that really matter in life, uh, them falling by the wayside, it means this. Uh, it means that you humble yourself like David did. Uh, amen. And you go to an altar and you start to pray, God, I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be that woman. I don't want to walk in a spirit of haughtiness and pride before you. I need you and I'm asking you to help me to live right. I'm in a boxing match this morning. 
with a lot of human spirits. I can scan the audience and I can look into the eyes of every one of you and I can tell the direction that you're trending right now. And I've come this morning to be an advocate. I've come this morning to stand in the face of pride, to stand in the face of arrogance before God, to stand in the face of anything in your life that's happening right now that would seemingly push you away from God. And I have come to be an advocate, amen, for you and your godly passions and your godly zeal and your godly fire, amen. And I stand here today and hear me, I say this, do not allow your fire to go out. Do not allow your passion for the things of God to wax dim don't allow your candle to go out this morning somebody amen it matters how you finish the race hear me this morning fight for the things of God in your life I know we're living in 2022 in a world that's progressive, in a world that's there's a push bishop to be postmodern and to catch up with the times and to be like everybody else, so on and so forth. Uh, but you're listening to a young preacher that 100% fully believes uh, that no matter how far this world gets away from God, uh, that there's a place of right living and righteousness uh, that God asks and God requires uh, of his people to live. Uh, he says, I still called you to be holy. Uh, I still called you to come out from the world. Uh, amen. God. God still desires right living in his sight. Amen. I don't care how you started the race. I don't care where you came from when you met Jesus. I don't care how much money was in your bank account. I don't care how many friends you have on social media. I don't know what's happened to you and where you've been at life. That doesn't matter. What matters to this preacher this morning uh, is that you're finishing the race strong. Uh, amen. The set, the race that God set you on, uh, that you're still on fire. Amen. Ten years later, as you were when God first saved you. What matters is that you still have a prayer life now like you did when you first got the Holy Ghost. Uh, what matters is that you're still a worshiper today uh, like you were when he first filled you with the Holy Ghost. Listen, don't ever get like Saul was where you're too big for your britches. Where you're, you're too proud and you're too haughty in the presence of God to humble yourself. Listen, some of us forget. Some of us forget that if it was not for the cross of Calvary, amen, and Jesus taking your beating and taking your stripes and bearing the crown of thorns that should have been on your head, if it wasn't for the cross of Jesus, you would be lost and dying and eternally separated from God and your destiny would be the lake of fire, amen. Somebody, that should be enough for us to be able to come to church, lift up our hands and at least just say, thank you, Jesus. You're so good to me, Jesus. Oh, I love I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. And yet the cross of Calvary still is not enough to get some people to worship God. Listen, I am not talking about barely making it. I'm not talking about you having your bishop pulling you as you're just down and out and you're struggling in every area of your life and you're just barely squeaking across the finish line. I'm talking about you finishing strong. I'm talking about you living your life, amen, on fire for God, amen. And when you see that finish line, you're not barely making it, but you are crossing that finish line hard and strong. Man, I'm going to say something to you today. We as men in the head of the house, you with me? It is on our shoulder to set the spiritual climate for our house. Men, it rests upon our shoulders to lead our family, our wives, and our children to the things of God. It is on our shoulders. Amen. We bear the responsibility. 
of walking up to the spiritual uh, thermometer of our house and making sure it's as hot as we can make it. I got two men. One of my favorite scriptures is in 2 Samuel 3, verse 1, and it says this. Are you ready? It's one of my favorite contrasting scriptures, if I could put it like that, in the Bible. It simply says this. Now, there was long war. Somebody say long war. Long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Amen. There was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Watch, but David waxed stronger and stronger and stronger, but the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker and weaker. You say, Brother Aaron, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that if you pattern your life of your life after the life of Saul in a life of pride and a haughtiness before the presence of God, you're going to find your yourself backpedaling and getting weaker and weaker and weaker in the things of God. But if you pattern your life after the life of David, a life of humility in his presence, you're going to find yourself getting stronger and stronger and stronger. There was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Long war between those that walked in pride and those that walked in humility. Those that leaned upon their own strength and those that leaned upon God's strength. Long war between the ones who lost their godly values uh, and the ones that hung on to their godly values. Uh, Long war between the naysayers and the revivalists. uh, The lukewarm and the red hot. uh, The coals and the fire. The skeptics and the believers. Are you hearing me this morning, church? Uh, There was long war, but the house of David, uh, they waxed stronger and stronger. I don't know about you and your house, uh, but as for me and my house, uh, I choose the house of David. Uh, I'm going to walk in the presence of God. The walk with God that I have is going to be the most important thing in my life. I choose the house of David. Hear me, if you're here this morning and you have enough courage and guts to be honest with yourself, to be real with yourself, If you're here this morning and you find your walk with God and your godly passions fading, your godly fire dying out, if you're here this morning and your joy that that you should have every day has been sucked out of you, if you find yourself backpedaling, Hear me this morning. I make a plea. Get out of the house of Saul. Get out of the house of Saul. Get out of the house of Saul this morning. When I give this altar call, get yourself up here. Find a place of prayer and humility before God and say, God, I need you. My strength is waxing weak. My strength is dimming. Amen. My fire is going out. My zeal for spiritual matters is being sucked away from you. You humble yourself in the sight of God. And the Bible says he will lift you up. The voices you're listening to right now matter. I was preaching in the East Coast. I had been to this church multiple times. I started to get to know know people's faces and know their names. And I remember one Sunday I was preaching about the drawing power of God's Spirit. And there was a man that, that would help out and used to help out in ushering and things like that, um, he was just so disconnected, just completely disconnected. And I'm observing, and I'm preaching, and God starts moving and talking to hearts, and all of a sudden I give the altar call, and, and everybody comes up to the front, and I watch as his wife's over here on this side of the altar praying, and he's standing in the middle, and he's got his ha- hand in his hanky like this, his head in his hanky. And I didn't like what I felt, so I walked over, and I grabbed his wife by the hand, and I said, come here, sissy, and I walked her over to her husband. And I said, you guys need to embrace each other and pray right now. They both began to lift their hands. And as I laid my hands on them and, and I just began to intercede, I didn't know what was going on. I don't know, need to know what was going on. But they began to pray. Next thing you know, their heads are on my shoulders and we're all just weeping and sobbing in the presence of God and interceding for them together. And I remember as there was an evident breakthrough for both of them that morning, I remember uh, we go out to Applebee's and the pastor's wife said, hey, you know so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, I know so-and-so. 
And this is what the pastor's wife told me. So-and-so came in the church this morning. And he said to all his friends in the ushering, he said, this is my last Sunday, and I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm throwing in, throwing in the towel. I was thankful that six months later when I went back to preach yet again, that both that man and his wife were still in church worshiping the Lord. But as I begin to ponder this situation, Sissy, as I begin to think about this man who walked in the church and said, you know what, this is my last Sunday and I'm done with this. I can't do it anymore. I'm thrown in the towel. As I begin to think about that, Bishop, you know what came to my mind? How long did that man listen to the wrong voices until he got to the place where he was ready to throw in the towel and walk away from the things of God? How long did that man listen to the voice of Saul in the house of Saul to get him to the place where he was ready to throw it all away? The voices you're listening to right now, they matter. And the voices you're listening to right now will shape and define your future. And it's only the voice of pride and the spirit of pride that would stop you from feeling God's love drawing you right now. When you look at this preacher, there's people that I haven't met yet. And there's a lot of people I have. But when you look at me preaching this morning and you feel or sense any aggression in my preaching, note this. It's not to you as a person, but it's towards an adversary that I have watched destroy husbands and wives. It's towards an adversary that I have watched reach into families and literally shred families. It's towards an adversary that I have watched speak into lives of young people that should have a life in the altar, young people that should be on fire for God, but now they're messed up in their worldly friends and they got pornography on their phone and they're watching and doing things behind their parents' backs and it's completely shutting down the work of God in their life. Listen to me, somebody. The house of Saul and a spirit of pride before God. It will destroy everything that you have. You know, one of the saddest repercussions about Saul's life and his rebellion was not only did he lose his life. But he lost his son's lives. And his family's lives. He lost all of his family's lives except by one grandson, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And it's customary that when a king overtook another king that they would kill off all the remaining heirs so that a rebellion and an uprising couldn't happen later. And so when word got out that Saul was dead, The handmaiden of Mephibosheth grabbed this little boy and took off running in her haste to hide. And at some point in time, she dropped this boy and now this boy is lame on his feet. And it's a tragedy. It's literally a tragedy to watch the sins of the fathers be passed down from generation to generation. When I say the sins of the Father passed down from generation to generation, I'm not saying that I am going to take the whip for what my daddy did. We all are going to be held accountable for the things that we've done. We're all going to stand before the Lord and give an account, Paul said. But what I am saying about the sins being passed down from generation to generation, uh, what that means to me is this, uh, Pastor Lewis, uh, it means that as fathers, uh, we literally bear the responsibility. We can either set our family on a trajectory that leads them to God, uh, or we can set our family on a trajectory uh, that leads them away from God. Uh, Amen. It's our responsibility to make sure that we're putting our family in a path uh, that draws them closer to God that's why the Bible says that when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back 
And every, every few steps, he would begin to get out and he would begin to worship before the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, he would bring the Ark of the Covenant back. Uh, he, would, he would do sacrifices. Uh, and the next thing you know, he would get out. Uh, it didn't matter who was looking. There we go, somebody. It didn't matter who was around. Uh, all that mattered was him and his relationship with God. The Bible says this, uh, that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked out the window and he saw that worship. Uh, and the Bible said that she despised David's worship. You you know why? Because she didn't grow up in a home where her daddy would be humble and dance in the presence of the Lord. She didn't grow up in a home where they valued the things of God. And now when she sees David dancing and worshiping, she despises that worship before the Lord. Come on, somebody. Fathers, mothers, are you listening to this preacher? How many of you are 20 years and below? Raise your hands. You're 20 years and younger. Come on, we got a man here, a little sissy here. I see a couple behind. Raise your hands if you're just 20 years and younger in this house. Come on, put your hands up. They're like, I, I can't do that. Amen. Look around at all these children in this house right here. Amen. Let me preach for these children. Are you ready? Come on, you need to help me preach. Let me preach for the young people. If you want your children to be on fire for God then my Lord have mercy. They better see you be on fire for God. If you want your young children to be worshipers in the altar in the house of the Lord, then my God, drop your pride. Get out of your seat every once in a while and just teach them. Teach them how to worship God. If you want your children to love the things of God, then let them see you love the things of God. Listen, you can't get mad at God because your children have no desire to worship when you refuse to get out of your seat during worship and get to an altar and humble yourself in the power and might of God. You can't get mad at God and upset at the church because your kids are spiritually dead when you're spiritually dead. Don't later on in life get upset that your children are bad-mouthing the church and they're ripping the pastor and the bishop when all they heard around the kitchen table on the car ride home was you tearing down the church and you tearing down ministry. I want everybody to lift your hands for just a moment. I want you to let your voice out, but not, not loudly. Just begin to talk to the Lord and let him speak into your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I feel compelled to say this. Just go ahead and keep praying, but listen to the preacher. Some of you who are here today, and you're feeling God draw you to deeper places. You're feeling God reach into your life. And you want to let go of yourself, and you want to go deeper into things of God, but the reason you're not is because of the friend that's sitting next to you. Listen, you show me your friends, and I'm going to show you your future. You show me the people that are in your life and influencing you, and I'm going to show you where you're going to go in God. I will go on further to say there's not one of you in this place that is worth me losing my salvation over. So my wife is not even worth me losing my salvation over. My kids are not worth me losing my salvation over. Listen, you, my wife... Anybody in the, you didn't go to Calvary for me. You didn't, you didn't be beaten beyond recognition for me. You didn't bear, bore a crown of thorns on your skull for me. You didn't shed your blood. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Stop allowing your peers. Stop allowing family members. Stop allowing your friends to pull you out of the house of David and put you into the house of Saul where you're barely getting by and your prayer life is weak and your worship life is completely diminished out. Amen. Somebody get out of the house of Saul and get into the house of David. 
One last point I'm going to make this morning, a point in typology, a point that all of us can relate to. Upon hearing the death of Saul and Jonathan Mizpah, the handmaiden took Mephibosheth, they fled for their lives. We don't know what happened, but at some point in time, she dropped this young boy. Now the young boy is lame on his feet. This crippling, hear me, would affect Mephibosheth and where he went and how he navigated life from that very moment forward. Much like Adam and Eve, who made a decision to disobey God, setting this world on a downhill spiral of sin, Mephibosheth now finds himself in his life being affected by his grandfather's rebellion towards God. And not only was his, his father Jonathan killed because of his father's rebellion, he would now live the rest of his life in fear, and furthermore, he would live the rest of his life crippled, all because of his rebellious grandfather. But now watch this. The Bible says that David the king is on the throne. And David is now inquiring, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I could show the kindness of God to him for Jonathan's sake? And so Jonathan, or excuse me, David is the king in this scripture who is seeking out any remaining heirs of Saul. And, and here it is, when he hears of Mephibosheth, he calls for him and he says this. He says, I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and will restore unto you all the land of Saul thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. In other words, what you lost because of your grandfather's decisions, I'm going to bring restoration into your life. I want to tell you this morning that both the father figures in my life, my biological father and my spiritual father, my pastor, that if it wasn't for the help of God reaching into their life, they would not be where they're at today and thus I would not be where I'm at today. If it wasn't for the king named Jesus who's sitting on the throne and saying, you know what, I know Adam and Eve set this world on a downhill spiral of sin, but I have come to give life and I have come to give life more abundantly. I'm on the throne now and I'm seeking any remaining heirs so that I can restore in their life what sin has destroyed. Musicians, join me. If my dad was here with tears in his eyes, with tears in my daddy's eyes, he would stand up here and begin to give his testimony. His testimony would sound something like this. At the age of three years old, his very first memory in life, three years, his very first memory was his mom handing him to another woman who was now saying, I'm going to be your mom from now on because my grandmother and my grandfather were drunks. And they chose their alcoholic addictions over raising their children. And they sent their children to a Marietta home for children. My dad will say this, I remember reaching and screaming for my mom and I watched as she turned her back on me and walked away from me. At three years old, the wound of rejection was now put into his heart. From three to 17 years of age, my dad would experience abuse in the orphanage that he was living in. He would see things that a young boy should never have to see and experience things a young boy should never have to experience. Let's all stand. At 17 years of age, the... The orphanage, it closed down, and now dad's out on the streets. And now dad gets hooked up with a construction job. There he's introduced to both drugs and alcohol, and drugs and alcohol became my daddy's life. He would go to work all day. He would get off work. He would go to the bars. He would run the pool tables. He would drink his 40. And there he would get drunk. And at the end of the night, he would go back to bed for a couple hours. He'd wake up in the morning. He would pop speed. He would work all day. And he would go right back to the bars and do the same thing again. That was my dad's life. I don't know how one man can get into so many car wrecks. Had a 110 mile per hour head on collision. Ran into a bridge abutment at 75 mile per hour. Was drunk one night and going well over 70, 
He went sideways and sideswiped the telephone pole that left an indention right behind his seat this deep into the car. And now as a young boy, the construction team goes down to Dallas, Texas. And down in Dallas, Texas, they're working, but they're also doing drugs. My dad said this one night, we laid out eight lines of cocaine. And I snorted them up my nose. When I realized as the high was coming down, I said a prayer in my hotel room that sounded like this. God, if you're out there and you're real and you don't want me on this stuff, then get me off this junk. And that night, my dad was busted for using and selling crack cocaine and he was sentenced to 2 to 20 years in prison. And now behind bars, my dad sang a prayer like this. God, I meant what I said, but not like this. Miraculously, miraculously, he was let off. Six months parole, they shipped him back up to Ohio. He had to do all that kind of stuff. And some point in time, in that six months, and the, the year following, my, my dad met a young apostolic preacher's daughter who then began to tell him about Jesus and the power of salvation. My dad found himself being drawn to this woman. And from the time that he was drawn to this woman and he started going to church. He was baptized in Jesus' name. He was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And from the time that he met this apostolic preacher's daughter and until the time they got married was six weeks. How many parents advise that today? Most of us are like, it's not like till 16 years. Can I tell you this morning that my dad and mom have celebrated 41 years of marriage? Praise God. Can I tell you this morning that my mom and dad had three biological kids? All of us are being used and being involved in the ministry. Can I tell you that they went on to adopt five more children uh, who are being active in the things of God and who have experienced uh, the infilling of the Holy Ghost? Amen. Uh, can I tell you that at like 2 o'clock in the morning, my dad's alarm will go off. Uh, he will make a pot of coffee. He'll fill up his cup. Uh, it don't matter if it's zero degrees or 100 degrees. Uh, he'll wrap himself in a blanket. Uh, he will walk out to his barn uh, and there for two or three hours he'll pray and say God you gotta touch my family touch Aaron his wife touch Jess the kids and he'll begin to pray amen you would have never known that if you would have seen him today but I am so thankful that there is a man named Jesus amen there is a king named Jesus that is sitting on the throne and he is reaching out into people's lives bringing restoration hear me this morning as I give an altar call it does not matter how you start to race it does not matter where you find yourself today there is a king that's on the throne and he's interested in you he wants to bring restoration in your life amen he wants to fill you with his spirit and he wants to use you in his kingdom this morning There are people who need to be honest with themselves. Your fire has done gone out. Your spiritual passion has gone completely. You're here today because it's the right thing to do and, and you know that church is good and, and you know that there is a heaven and hell on the line. Hello. And yet you find yourself struggling. And I get it because we all struggle at some point in time. But what defines and what makes your struggle and what makes you the man or the woman that you're supposed to be is whether or not you're living in the house of Saul or you're living in the house of David. You with me? Your bishop's wife felt led to pray or to sing songs that drew us closer to God. There is a call from God's spirit right now to get out of the house of Saul. To humble yourself in the spirit of God and the, the, the presence of God and let him strengthen your spiritual walk. How many of you will be honest with me and willing to step out of your seat and fill this altar right now? 
How many of you desire to be pleasing to God more than anything else? Amen. You desire a walk with God. I invite you right now to come out of your seat. And I invite you to touch the throne of God in Jesus' name. Sister Tryon, would you lift up your voice? Praise team, would you sing us a song? I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Come on, somebody reach out to God right now. Come on, somebody pour your heart out to him right now. Jesus, it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. In every area, in every action. Minister, I pray in the precious name of Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Oh, let your blessings be upon me. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the A roaring lion, roaring to and fro. He's seeking whom he may devour. The Bible tells me so. And many souls have been his prey to fall in some weak hour. But God has promised us today. Coming power. Greater is he that is in me. Yes, greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. A roaring lion roaming to and fro, and he's seeking whom he may devour. His Bible tells me so. Many souls have been his prey to fall in some weak hour, but God has given us today his over. Greater is 
God is still doing a work, still touching lives, and we're so glad that you joined us this morning. Um, remember, we have our picnic, our Memorial Day picnic at 2 o'clock. Come prepared to grill, amen, and eat some good food. Bring um, your hot dogs, your hamburgers, your potato salads, you know, all that wonderful stuff, and, um, and join us as we fellowship together this afternoon. God bless you. You are dismissed. I'm sorry? 
Wednesday night Bible study. There is Wednesday night Bible study at 7.30 p.m. So join us on Wednesday night. And remember, Prophecy Conference is also this weekend. And God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.